This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Taylor Stevens, the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of Kick-Ass International Thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And because we're making an effort to let you guys know what the topic is at the beginning of the show, we're going to get right to that and then get to our chit-chat. A topic this week is going to be how much is too much action in an action thriller? But before we do, it's a few weeks after New Year's. Taylor, I know that in the past you have done, you had a process that you go through on New Year's Eve or around the New Year's. Did you do it again this year? I did, though, as we know from last week's show, I spent the New Year's Eve, or New Year's Day in the ER. So um, I didn't have a chance to do it exactly right then and there. But it it's a process where I reflect, every year I set not goals, but desires, wants, things I would like to see happen for the new year um, in that year. Um, sometimes there are, there are things that I know have no possibility of happening that year, but I still want them to happen in life. And um, I'll put them down as like, you know, maybe I can make progress on it. Or so there's things that I have no control over whatsoever, but that I would really, really want. And I guess it's a, a kind of a combination of putting it out to the universe kind of getting it clear in my head what it is I actually want because sometimes it's so easy to just get carried away by the daily cycle of catching up, like running from emergency to emergency, that you get so focused on that, or at least I do, you lose track of the big picture of actually living, of what you actually want in life and that it's okay to want in life. And sometimes the things you want will never come to be. Sometimes the things you want change. You realize you didn't really want them after all. And I've always felt like, you know, time has a way of blending together, especially for me now. Um, it all blends together. And sometimes I can't even keep track of what happened in what year anymore. And so by writing this stuff down, it sort of creates a record of it for me. And I like to go back at the end of the year and just see where I was at at this same point in time one year ago, what it was I was hoping for, dreaming for, what it was I wanted to happen, and, and note what actually did happen and, or didn't. In, in the case of 2018, there was a lot of didn't. Um, and then sort of kind of get my frame of mind for the, the coming year and write all that down, too, so that when the end of the year rolls around, I can look back and see where I was at the beginning of the year. So, yes, I did get a chance to do that. And there were some really big, wonderful things that happened in 2018 and a whole lot of what didn't happen in 2018. But on we go. On balance, when you read through what you had, had done last year, did you feel good or bad about it? You know, it's it's a toss-up because I always feel that I personally should be doing more. And 2018 was a really hard year because um, I lost so many months. And it, um, people who've listened to the show long-term know I got to the point where I thought I was losing my mind because I was so overwhelmed. I couldn't remember things. I couldn't make words work. It, it got really, really bad. And in all of that, um, the end result of it was, yay, progress. But 
a lot of the things I wanted to do personally um, did not happen. So um, on balance, everything else but me, my personal career goals, my the things I personally, everything else but me was amazing in 2018. Me, myself, <laughs> not, not so much. <laughs> so, you know, if I'm on one side of the scale and everything else is on the other side of the scale, well, it's definitely an up year. Yes. And I, I have to say that when I look back at my goals for last year, all of the really specific goals that I set that had to do with like numbers and things like that, things like weight, um, words written, things like that. I was a miserable failure at all of them. But all of the non-numbered goals, not all of them, but most of them I made good progress towards, or maybe not so much goals, but just things that I wanted to accomplish, um, directions that I wanted to go, things like that. A lot of that stuff happened and it's interesting because whenever you talk to anybody about goals, it's like, well, they've got to be measurable. They've got to be this and that and the other thing. And the things that were measurable were the things that I did the worst at. <laughs> and the things that were not measurable, when I look back on it, I just go, wow, I made a lot of progress on that this year. I'm really happy about that. So, And I, I think the difference, too, though, is that like when I set these things at the beginning of the year, they're not really goals. And in some ways, they're goals. Anything that I can personally control, but I do that separately. Mm -hmm. the, these are just really desires, like what I want in life. Wh what's the direction that I'm trying to go? And it's broken down into very small segments, you know, everywhere from, I, I have no control over whether my children stay healthy mm -hmm. or whether they get along with each other or, you know, how they, I have no control over that, but I still want it. Mm -hmm. And so those, those are things that will end up in there for, for them. Um, uh, things to do with, um, light, light, like I have no control what happens, whether books get turned. We talked about this before with the information is that's how this whole discussion about new year's resolutions thing, or not resolutions on um, once end of the year reflections came about was I had long time ago put that I wanted the information is to be made into a movie by a top producer, mm -hmm. you know, film rights sold. I have no control over top, those types of things, but they still are things that I want and they go on to the list and you can't make goals for things that you don't have any control. You can't do anything about. So it's not so much a goal list as a want list. And yet there are things I do have control over, like you said, weight or, you know, exercising, drinking enough water, things that you know you're supposed to do for your body. Mm -hmm. Those are things that I do have control over, but I also want them. And so they end up on the list, but not specifically as goals. And I'll deal with the goal stuff later on the side. All right, and I'm going to throw one of my goals out. It's not. This is not a writing goal. I'm not going to throw any writing goals out because I know you'll, oh. you'll, you'll flog me if I do that. But, no, you should put it out there. And yes, I will flog you, but not in a negative way. As in, a, come on, Steve, <laughs> let's get going. <laughs> but one of the things that I've wanted to do for the last year or so is to run another half marathon. I have I ran a half marathon in my 30s, in my 40s, in my 50s, and I'm in my 60s now. And I want to have been able to run a half marathon in all those decades. That's amazing. That's awesome. But I am so far from being able to do that. I could like I could run maybe five miles now. 
and my body starts breaking down if I do too much training. My, my legs and my feet start breaking down. And so I've got to go at it differently, and I've got to be strategic, and I've got to train less, but train in such a way that I can get up to where I can run 13 and a half miles and do most of it, most of the heavy lifting, so to speak, on a treadmill, which will be easier on my body, and then just really only spend one day running 13 miles on concrete, and that being the day of the race, which is almost exactly a year from now. So it's not a goal for 2019. It's a goal for 2020. But It's a goal for the decade, really, because you said in yeah. your 60s. But you want to get it at the beginning of the decade. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't want to do it when I'm 68 and three quarters. Um, yeah, so I, I think I can still do it now, and I want to do it, and I'd feel really good about myself if I, if I pulled it off. And it's going to take some work. So we'll see. I mean, it, it's a year away, and I've, I've got some running buddies that I'm trying to encouraged to do the same thing with so that we're encouraging one another so that when one of us starts to fall off, we'll say, hey, you know, remember, we've got this goal and we're going to try and do this. Of course, these guys are in their 30s. Right. But they've got kids, so they they have responsibilities that I don't have to deal with. Well, I am rooting for you, and that is kind of like our topic for today because that is action, Steve. Good transition. That was awesome. Thank you. So today, this is going to be a Steve question. And I know this because Steve and I have already talked about it. Um, Go ahead, Steve. Well, we didn't actually talk about it. I posed it as a question and you said, oh, that's a great question. And then there was nothing else. And this is when I say we talked about it, I mean, we were typing back and forth at each other on Skype. And so I typed my question which was really well thought out and I thought brilliant. (laughs) And she said, that's a great question. And then there was nothing else. And then I realized that meant that, oh, we'll use this for an episode of the Taylor Stevens show. So let me try. I will actually read uh, and comment on what I sent to Taylor. I just finished a book that I really enjoyed. Nice character development, a compelling story that kept me turning the pages and a satisfying ending. However, What I found myself doing, which I don't normally do, was to skim the action sequences because they seemed pointless. The good guy wasn't going to die, and it was just sucking up pages before the book got back to the story. And let me just say that I love this book. It it was a page-turner. I couldn't put it down, that kind of thing. So I really wanted to see how the book resolved itself, and it had these really long action sequences that were really well crafted out. And if you were watching what was going on in a movie, it was probably fascinating. But for me, I just wanted to get through them. So I did that thing like sometimes you do when you're reading description. You just kind of go wah, 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 and you get to the next line of dialogue. So I was doing that, which posed the question for me, when is too much too much when you're writing action or fight sequences. Okay, so my first question is, when you say these fight sequences were long, how long were they? Like, are you talking a page? Are you talking three pages? Uh, This was a digital book, and I'm guessing if it was on actual pages, seven, eight pages, it just, it went on forever. Okay, so I know that I'm not, the be all end all, like what I enjoy might not be what other people enjoy, but the best example I can have 
to convey visually how I feel about this is with the movie Man of Steel. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole DC versus Marvel whatever thing. I just go watch movies and I like superhero movies because they're mindless to me unless you count the most recent, you know, Avengers where half everybody dies. For the most part, you know your heroes are going to come out alive. So, I don't sit there going, "Oh my god, what's going to happen?" The the experience is the ride of getting from beginning to the end and how we're going to get to the end. So you come along with a movie like Man of Steel and you have these fight sequences where these two gods, essentially Superman and, you know, his counterpart, are just beating each other up through buildings, through another building, punch, fly, smash, punch, fly, smash, punch, fly, smash. And I'm just rolling my eyes. I mean, I like a good fight sequence as much as the next person but this is just the same thing over and over again. And are these characters really so stupid that they think after having punched and smashed 50 times and the first the guy didn't die, that if he punches and smashes 51, he's going to die now? Like, come on. I'm not that stupid. Surely they're not that stupid. So this is just wasted time. Let's get to the story already. It, so the issue in my mind, isn't that the fight sequence is too much. It's that it's boring because there's nothing at stake. You know nobody's going to die doing the same thing over and over again. But if you switch it up and all of a sudden they're in a different scenario and maybe, who knows, this one might actually kill the, the hero or superhero or whatever, all of a sudden you're interested again. But until then, it's just... Punch, smash, throw, punch. It's boring. Unless you like to see stuff blow up just for the sake of seeing it blow up, which maybe that was the audience for those scenes. I don't know. I'm um, reminded of – you mentioned the Superman movie and the punch, whatever it was. But I, I got the point, but it was really well put the way you put it. And I, I remember thinking back to car chase movies, and I'm old enough to remember when Bullet first came out. And the movie Bullet with Steve McQueen had this incredible car chase in it, if I'm remembering the right movie. And it just – people were talking about it because they'd never seen anything like it before. And now if you watch a movie that's got a 10-minute car chase thing in it, unless it's one of those car chase movies where that's the whole thing, it's just you go, oh, all right, enough with the car chase. Let's get back to the story. Right. But to follow that same concept through, car chases went from moving straight, then moving in through traffic, and then moving against traffic. And so anytime somebody comes up with an original spin on the car chase, all of a sudden you're interested. And then everybody does it, and it's too much, and it's boring again, but then there'll be a new spin on it, and then all of a sudden it's interesting again. So it's not the car chase itself that's too long. It's that you're doing what's been seen 100 times and there's nothing at stake and everybody already knows how this is going to end. Um, you have one of your main characters die in a fight and all of a sudden everybody's interested again because the stakes just returned. So, And if, let, me, let me give a little bit more detail about this book because as you're, as you're talking about it, more stuff is coming to mind. And immediately preceding the fight sequences – there, there are these actual threats that are taking place. It's like maybe he's going to be arrested. 
Maybe his girlfriend is is the one who's setting him up. Maybe this, maybe that, maybe the other thing. And that's actual drama, and you want to see what's going on. And then it just turns into a fight between one guy and another guy, and it's like, you know, can we get back to the real drama, which was what are the results of all of these actions going to be at the end of the story? So the thing that makes a fight sequence as intense as it is, is that it actually matters to the story. So when the, I've been told that I write very visceral fight sequences that are very vivid and such, but the truth is they're not. Um, if you tried to actually script out or choreograph one of my fight sequences based on the words on the page, it would be impossible because there's really not that much there. What is there is we're inside the character's head. We're feeling what the character feels, the fear, the, the, the sense of loss, the threat, the shock, all those types of things, the emotions. And that's what makes those fight sequences feel so alive is that they're real to the character, so they're real to you. And they don't drag out on and on. But if I did have to write a sequence that drug, drug out, drug, drag, <laughs> on and on, I would throw that drama into it. If preceding the fight, there's that genuine threat that he might be arrested, well, I would take the fight in front of the police station. I would take it in, you know, where patrol cars, you know, are a, a threat. Of, so the, the threat that he was afraid of is now interwoven into the actual fight. And he's not just fighting for his life. He's fighting for his freedom. He's fighting for... Uh, to be able to figure out or, you know, whatever it is that the story is about. You know, he's trying, let's say, hypothetically, he's trying to solve a a crime that he's going to be arrested for if, you know, he can't show the truth. Well, that's what's going through the character's head. And every punch, every blow is coming back to that specific fear, that specific desire of getting free, having to break free, not wanting to be in this fight, doesn't even care if he kills the guy. He just needs to get where the police can't see him. That's a fight sequence, because the fight sequence is not what's really at stake. It's the obstacle keeping him from getting to where he needs to go. Yeah. And in this case, it was just it, it was almost as though there is this thing in the world of thrillers, I think, where the protagonist and the antagonist have to go at it in some way, whether it's mentally or physically at at the end of the conclu- at the conclusion of the book and so this just kind of felt like ending a story by checking a box right yeah i mean in some ways you got to because if you're writing a thriller and that's genre and the genre has certain expectations you have to fill those expectations but it's like writing an obligatory sex scene in the middle of a book that expects that there's going to be a sex scene in it, you might as well not even put it there if the sex is no good. So if you're going to write a fight sequence, it's got it's got to matter. It, yes, we're expecting it. We're expecting the thrills. We're expecting the the excitement and the adrenaline. But it, it, it can't just stand alone as some here's the obligatory insert whatever. Now move on with the rest of the story. And if it starts to feel that way, it's because it's not tying in. There's, there's, it's like description. 
you don't write description just for the sake of description. You're moving your character through the description, and that's how the world comes alive. Well, it's the same with action. It's the same with everything. It's all about character, and it all has to tie together. And if it's if all you're writing are these discrete um, segments, then your story is not going to feel continual. It's not going to have that sense of you know, one single solid flow, it's going to feel interrupted and your your readers are going to start skipping. And that's the last thing you want to do is your readers to start skipping. Right. Especially when you've worked that hard on the scene, because it just when I was trying to force myself to read it, it was really, there was a lot of detail there. It's, you know, it requires a lot of thought to think about putting your hand here and putting this other hand here and hanging from here and kicking and, you know, all the stuff that was going on. So there was a lot of work that went into it. And I've almost felt guilty skipping it, but it was the author's fault for making the story so good that I actually wanted to see how it resolved. Now, in that author's defense, I know there are some authors who are specifically known for the accuracy of their fight sequences, Mm -hmm. and readers, they have a, a, it's this particular segment within the genre where readers go and read that specifically because they want to see those long drawn out choreographed fights and that's where the author really puts a lot of their time and focus it just you're not the audience for that mm-hmm. so if that's what you're i'm not saying you can't ever write that way it's a case of know your audience like that is the average thriller reader is not going to want that much detail in a fight sequence here's the other thing too is when you give the reader an image to work with, the reader actually has to create that in their head. The more detail you go through in describing something, the more the reader has to pause to create that image, to try and get it to match the words on the page. So the greater detail you go into in a fight, the more the reader has to imagine this hand, that foot, turn here, And it slows the entire thing down where it even feels longer than it actually is because the reader can't just get through it. So when it comes to creating imagery, yes, there are authors that is their shtick, that is what they do, it is what their core audience loves about them. But for most thriller writers, and especially if you're not writing a thriller, less is more. Keep it. It's it's the emotions. It's the stakes. It's the it's how it relates to the character. That's what's going to drive those action sequences. And interestingly enough, and I, I I'd like your opinion on this. This was a this was not a physical book. There were there were not people beating each other up through the book. I mean, you know, there might have been the occasional, you know, somebody gets whacked on the head with a pipe or something like that. But it was a mental duel between these two people throughout the book. And then you get to the end and the mental duel turns into a physical duel. And one of the people was old enough to be the other guy's father. And so in my mind, it's like this young guy fighting with this old guy and all this other stuff is going on. And it just, I I felt like this is the kind of thing that should have ended with one person really outsmarting the other and resolving things that way because of the way it was all set up and the author chose to go physical at the end. Maybe, I, I'm not sure why. But I, I hear you. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't know the book. I don't know the author. I, far be it from me to criticize another author's choices. That Obviously, they felt that that was the best way to do things. 
I would just say that for those who are listening and who are looking to avoid a scenario like this, or it's, you know, avoid the cliches. To me, that fight at the end, you know, it's a lost opportunity to to be smart, to take what is already obviously a very smart book and and continuing in that that vein to where the fight is becomes almost a, a metaphor for the intelligence and it just turns into something physical and unmatched, unrealistic physical match at that. Um, you know, it, it, it feels cheap. It feels it, it feels like so much more could be done. Now, one of the things I hate more than just about anything is when somebody comes and tells me, oh, or I see in a review, uh, this wasn't this wasn't her best. She could have done so much better than this. And I feel like putting two big fingers in the sky and saying, F you, I never do less than my best. And if you think I could do better, you're more than welcome to come and show me how it's done. So far be it from me to accuse another author and say, oh, they could have done better. Obviously, whatever they did, that was the best that they could do. But my way of thinking is don't take the easy shortcuts. Don't take the easy way out. Try and always make it where if if two you know, un, unmatched uh, as far as strength or, or agility characters are going at each other, well, then one's going to have to outsmart the other, bring those smarts into it, those types of things, you know. Um, the, the fight has to make sense to the context of the story. Action has to make sense to the context of the story. To just throw action in to try and ramp up the excitement, um, it, you know, heck, I do that, but it's done with such precision that most people can't tell. So if you're going to do it, do it well. Otherwise, it just it, it becomes interference to the enjoyment of the story. Yeah, and I, I, I know that what I'm saying sounds like a criticism, and it probably is of this one particular scene. But for the book itself, I really love the book, and it's this is an author whose work I really like in general. Um, I, I read everything that she writes, and I always enjoy it, and I this I thought was her best book. I just, when I read that, I thought, oh, this is a great topic for a show. So it, it, all, of, all of this, what sounds like criticism, is not criticism. It, it's a question. Like, because we feel like we have to, if you're writing a thriller, there has to be this mano a mano finish at the end. And in this case, I think it might have been better without it. But, you know, she made her choice and, and maybe 80% of the readers would agree with her. I don't know. Anyway, I, I left a review that was glowing and five stars and, and you know, I love it. I think, I think, I mean, I did not take what you were saying as a criticism and I don't think our audience did either. I think what we're doing here is we're all trying to learn how can we do better? How can we grow as authors? How can we kick writing in the butt one word at a time? And when we see something that makes us pause and question in the way somebody else does it, it's, it's great. It's discussion, you know, um, if, if writing was easy, everyone would do it. If, you know, selling a huge series of books was easy, everyone would do it. Obviously, we're not all capable of that. Um, I'm so far below so many other authors that have succeeded just in crazy, crazy well that, you know, all we can do is learn from it. We don't, we don't criticize and say, oh, they did this wrong. It's I wouldn't want to do that. So how could I avoid doing that? How can I personally in my own writing do something different? And it, it's just a learning, it's a discussion. It's a learning experience. It's not a criticism. 
Okay, so that is it for this week's show. Do we have any anything else? I mean, this I know this was my question, and I don't have anything else. I think we've we've covered the topic. Well, I think we've covered it, but we are always open to questions. We love getting listener questions. So if there's something you're struggling with, something you've seen in a book, something you don't understand, if it's something I've done that you don't understand why I did it, you know, now's the time to ask all the liars paradox questions. Why did you structure it this way? Why did you do this? Now's the time to get those questions answered because I can tell you based on my own limited experience, you know, this is what I knew. This is what I did. And you can take it or leave it for your own, you know, enjoyment or writing practice. All right. Thanks, you guys, for being here again this week. We will be back again next Tuesday. See you then.